Book Five, Chapter One of Camilla. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Velwest. Camilla, or A Picture of Youth, by Fanny Burney. Book Five, Chapter One, A Pursuer. Notwithstanding the fears so justly excited from the mixed emotions and exertions of Sir Hugh, Mr. Tyrold had the happiness to see him fall into tranquil sleep, from which he awoke without any return of pain. His night was quiet. The next day was still better, and the day following he was pronounced out of danger. The rapture which this declaration excited in the house and diffused throughout the neighborhood when communicated to the worthy baronet, gave a gladness to his heart that recompensed all he had suffered. The delight of Camilla exceeded whatever she had yet experienced. Her life had lost half its value in her estimation, while she believed that of her uncle to be in danger. No one single quality is perhaps so endearing from man to man as good nature. Talents excite more admiration, wisdom more respect and virtue more esteem. But with admiration envy is apt to mingle, and fear with respect, while esteem, though always honorable, is often cold. But good nature gives pleasure without any allay, ease, confidence, and happy carelessness, without the pain of obligation, without the exertion of gratitude. If joy was in some more tumultuous, content was with none so penetrating as with Eugenia. Apprised now that she had been the immediate cause of the sufferings of her uncle, his loss would have given to her peace a blow irrecoverable, and she determined to bend the whole of her thoughts to his wishes, his comfort, his entire restoration. To this end all her virtue was called in aid, a fear next to aversion having seized her of Claremont from the apprehension she might never inspire in him such love as she had inspired in Bellamy, nor see in him, as in young Melmond, such merit as might raise similar sentiments for himself. Molly Mill had not failed to paint to her the disappointment of Bellamy in not seeing her, but she was too much engrossed by the dangerous state of her uncle to feel any compunction in her breach of promise. Though touched with the account of his continual sufferings, she became very gentle in her reprimands to Molly for again meeting him, and though Molly again disobeyed, she again was pardoned. He came daily to the lane behind the park pales to hear news of the health of Sir Hugh, without pressing either for an interview or a letter, and Eugenia grew more and more moved by his respectful obsequiousness. She had yet said nothing to Camilla upon the subject not only because a dearer interest mutually occupied them, but from a secret shame of naming a lover at a period so ungenial. But now that Sir Hugh was in a fair way of recovery, her situation became alarming to herself. Openly and before the whole house, she had solemnly been assigned to Claremont Lymere, and little as she wished the connection, she thought it, from circumstances, her duty not to refuse it. Yet this gentleman had attended her so long, had endured so many disappointments, and borne them so much to her satisfaction, that, 
though she lamented her concession as an injury to Claremont and grew ashamed to name it even to Camilla, she believed it would be cruelty unheard of to break it. She determined, therefore, to see him, to pronounce a farewell, and then to bend all her thoughts to the partner destined to her by her friends. Molly Mill was alone to accompany her to give her negative, her good wishes and her solemn declaration that she could never again see or hear of him more. He could deem it no indelicacy that she suffered Molly to be present, since she was the negotiator of his own choice. Molly carried him, therefore, this news, with a previous condition that he was not to detain her mistress one minute. He promised all submission, and the next morning after breakfast, Eugenia, in extreme dejection at the ungrateful task she had to perform, called for Molly and walked forth. Camilla, who was then accidentally in her own room, was soon after summoned by three smart raps to her chamber door. There, to her great surprise, she saw Edgar, who, after a hasty apology, begged to have a few minutes' conference with her alone. She descended with him into the parlor, which was vacant. "'You suspect, perhaps,' said he, in a hurried manner, though attempting to smile, "'that I mean to fatigue you with some troublesome advice.' I must therefore, by an abrupt question, explain myself. Does Mr. Bellamy still continue his pretensions to your sister Eugenia? Startled in a moment from all thoughts of self that first had been rushing with violence to her heart, Camilla answered, uh, No, why do you ask? I will tell you. In my regular visits here of late, I have almost constantly met him either on foot or on horseback in the vicinity of the park. I suspected he watched to see Eugenia, but I knew she now never left the house, and concluded he was ignorant of the late general confinement. This moment, however, upon my entrance, I saw him again, and as he hastily turned away upon meeting my eye, I dismounted, gave my horse to my man, and determined to satisfy myself which way he was strolling. I then followed him to the little lane to the right of the park, where I perceived an empty post-chaise and four in waiting. He advanced and spoke with the postillion. I came instantly into the house by the little gate. This may be accidental, yet it has alarmed me, and I ventured, therefore, thus suddenly to apply to you, in order to urge you to give a caution to Eugenia, not to walk out just at present, unattended. Camilla thanked him and ran eagerly to speak to her sister, but she was not in her room, nor was she with her uncle, nor yet with Dr. Orkborne. She returned uneasily to the parlor and said she would seek her in the park. Edgar followed, but they looked around for her in vain. He then, deeming the danger to be urgent, left her to hasten to the spot where he had seen the post-chaise. Camilla ran on alone, and when she reached the park gate, perceived her sister, Molly Mill, and Bellamy in the lane. They heard her quick approach, and turned round. The countenance of Bellamy exhibited the darkest disappointment, and that of Eugenia the most excessive confusion. Now then, sir, she cried, delay our separation no longer. Oh, permit me, said he, in a low voice. Permit me to hope you will hear my last sad sentence. My final misery another day. I will defer my mournful departure for that melancholy joy, which is the last I shall feel, 
and my wretched existence. He sighed so deeply that Eugenia, who seemed already in much sorrow, could not utter an abrupt refusal, and as Camilla now advanced, she turned from him, without attempting to say anything further. Camilla, in the delight of finding her sister safe, after the horrible apprehensions she had just experienced, could not speak to her for tears. Abashed at once and amazed, Eugenia faintly asked what so affected her. She gave no explanation, but begged her to turn immediately back. Eugenia consented, and Bellamy, bowing to them both profoundly, with quick steps walked away. Camilla asked a thousand questions, but Eugenia seemed unable to answer them. In a few minutes they were joined by Edgar, who, walking hastily up to them, took Camilla apart. He told her he firmly believed a villainous scheme to have been laid. He had found the chase still in waiting, and asked the postillion to whom he belonged. The man said he was paid for what he did, and refused giving any account of himself. Bellamy then appeared. He seemed confounded at his sight, but neither of them spoke, and he left him and his chaise and his postillion to console one another. He doubted not, he said, but the design had been to carry Eugenia off, and he had probably only pretended to leave, that the chase might advance, and the postillion aid the elopement, though finding help at hand, he had been forced to give up his scheme. Camilla, even with rapture, blessed his fortunate presence, but was confounded with perplexity at the conduct of Eugenia. Edgar, who feared her heart was entangled by an object who sought only her wealth, proposed dismissing Molly Mill that he might tell her himself the opinion he had conceived of Bellamy. Camilla overtook her sister, who had walked on without listening to or regarding them, and sending away Molly told her Edgar wished immediately to converse with her upon something of the utmost importance. You know my high esteem of him, she answered, but my mind is now occupied upon a business of which he has no information, and I entreat that you will neither of you interrupt me. Camilla, utterly at a loss what to conjecture, joined Mandelbert alone, and told him her ill success. He thought everything was to be feared from the present state of the affair, and proposed revealing at once all he knew of it to Mr. Tyrold. But Camilla desired him to take no step till she had again expostulated with her sister, who might else be seriously hurt or offended. He complied, and said he would continue in the house, park, or environs, incessantly upon the watch, till some decisive measure was adopted. Joining Eugenia then again, she asked if she meant seriously to encourage the addresses of Bellamy. By no means, she quietly answered. My dear Eugenia, I cannot at all understand you, but it seems clear to me that the arrival of Edgar has saved you from some dreadful violence. You hurt me, Camilla, by this prejudice. From whom should I dread violence? From a man who but too fatally for his peace values me more than his life? If I could be sure of his sincerity, said Camilla, I should be the last to think ill of him, but reflect a little, at least, upon the risk that you have run, my dear Eugenia. There was a post-chaise in waiting, not twenty yards from where I stopped you. Oh, you little know, Bellamy, that chaise was only to convey him away, to convey him, Camilla, to an eternal banishment. But why, then, had he prevailed with you to quit the park? 
You will call me vain if I tell you. No, I shall only think you kind and confidential. Do me then the justice, said Eugenia, blushing, to believe me as much surprised as yourself at his most unmerited passion. But he told me that if I could only cast my eyes upon the vehicle which was to part him from me forever, it would not only make it less abhorrent to him, but probably prevent the loss of his senses. My dear Eugenia, said Camilla, half smiling, this is a violent passion indeed for so short an acquaintance. I knew you would say that, answered she, discontented, and it was just what I observed to him myself. But he satisfied me that the reason of his feelings being so impetuous was that this was the first and only time he had ever been in love. So handsome as he is, what a choice for him to make. Camilla, tenderly embracing her, declared, the choice was all that did him honor in the affair. He never, said she, a little comforted, makes me any compliments. I should else disregard, if not disdain him. But indeed he seems, notwithstanding his own extraordinarily manly beauty, to be wholly superior to external considerations. Camilla now forbore expressing farther doubt, from the fear of painful misapprehension, but earnestly entreated her to suffer Edgar to be entrusted and consulted. She decidedly, however, refused her consent. I require no advice, cried she, for I am devoted to my uncle's will. To speak then of this affair would be the most cruel indelicacy. In publishing a conquest which, since it is rejected, I ought silently, though gratefully, to bury in my own heart. She then related the history of all that had passed to Camilla, but solemnly declared she would never, to any other human being but him who should hereafter be entitled to her whole heart, betray the secret of the unhappy Bellamy. Chapter 2 An Advisor The wish of Camilla was to lay this whole affair before her father, but she checked it, from an apprehension she might seem displaying her duty and confidence at the expense of those of her sister, whose motives for concealment were intentionally the most pure. However, practically, they might be erroneous, and whom she both pitied and revered for her proposed submission to her uncle, in opposition to her palpable reluctance. She saw not, however, any obstacle to consulting with Edgar, since he was already apprised of the business and since his services might be essentially useful to her sister, while, with respect to herself, there seemed at this time more of dignity in meeting them than shunning his friendly intercourse, since his regard for her seemed to have lost all its peculiarity. He has precisely, cried she, the same sentiments for my sisters as for me. He is equally kind, disinterested, and indifferent to us all, anxious alike for Eugenia with Mr. Bellamy, and for me with a detestable major. Be it so, we can nowhere obtain a better friend, and I should blush, indeed, if I could not treat as a brother one who can treat me as a sister. Tranquil, though not gay, she returned to converse with him, but when she had related what had passed, he confessed that his uneasiness upon the subject was increased. The heart of Eugenia appeared to him positively entangled, and he besought Camilla not to lose a moment in acquainting Mr. Tyrold with her situation. 
She pleaded against giving this pain to her sister with energetic affection. Her arguments failed to convince, but her eloquence powerfully touched him, and he contented himself with only entreating that she would again try to aid him with an opportunity of conversing with Eugenia. This she could not refuse, nor could he then resist the opportunity to inquire why Mrs. Arlbury had left her and Lavinia at the play. She thanked him for remembering his character of her monitor, and acknowledged the fault to be her own with a candor so unaffected that, captivated by the soft seriousness of her manner, he flattered himself that his fear of the major was a chimera, and hoped that, as soon as Sir Hugh was able to again join his family, no impediment would remain to his begging the united blessings of the two brothers to his views. When Camilla told her sister the request of Edgar, she immediately suspected the attachment of Bellamy had been betrayed to him, and Camilla, incapable of any duplicity, related precisely how the manner had passed. Eugenia, always just, no sooner heard than she forgave it, and accompanied her sister immediately downstairs. I must rest all hope of pardon, cried Edgar, for the part I am taking to your conviction of its motive, of filial love and gratitude to Mr. Tyrell, of fraternal affection and interest for all his family. My own sisterly feelings, she answered, make me both comprehend and thank your kind solicitude, but, believe me, it is now founded in error. I am shocked to find you informed of this unhappy transaction, and I charge and beseech that no interference may wound its ill-fated object by suffering him to surmise your knowledge of his humiliating situation. I would not for the world give you pain, answered Aker, but permit me to be faithful to the brotherly character in which I consider myself to stand with you all. A blush had overspread his face at the word brotherly, while at that of all, which recovered him, a still deeper stained the cheeks of Camilla. But neither of them looked at the other, and Eugenia was too self-absorbed to observe either. Your utter inexperience in life, he continued, makes me, though but just, giving up leading strings myself, an adept in the comparison. Suffer me, then, as such, to represent to you my fears, that your innocence and goodness may expose you to imposition. You must not judge all characters by the ingenuousness of your own, nor conclude, however rationally and worthily a mind such as yours might, may, and will inspire a disinterested regard, and that mercenary views are out of the question, because mercenary principles are not declared. I will not say your interference is severe, replied Eugenia, because you know not the person of whom you speak, but permit me to make this irrefragable vindication of his freedom from all sordid motives. He has never once named the word fortune, neither to make any inquiries into mine, nor any professions concerning his own. Had he any inducement to duplicity, he might have asserted to me what he pleased, since I have no means of detection. Your situation, said Edgar, is pretty generally known, and for his, Pardon me if I hint, it may be possible that silence is no virtue. However, since I am unacquainted, you say, with his character, will you give me leave to make myself better informed? There needs no investigation. To me it is perfectly known. Forgive me if I ask how. By his letters and by his conversation. A smile which stole upon the features of Edgar obliged him to turn his head another way, but presently recovering, 
my dear eugenia he cried will it not be the most consonant to your high principles and scrupulous delicacy to lay the whole of what has passed before mr tyrold undoubtedly if my part were not straightforward had i the least hesitation my father should be my immediate and decisive umpire but i am not at liberty even for deliberation i am not i know at my own disposal she blushed and looked down confused but presently with firmness added it is not indeed fit that i should be my uncle completely merits to be in all things my director to know his wishes therefore is not only to know but to be satisfied with my doom such being my situation you cannot misunderstand my defence of this unhappy young man it is but simple justice to rescue an amiable person from calumny let us allow all this said acre still i see no reason why mr tyrold mr mandelbert interrupted she you must do what you judge right i can desire no one to abstain from pursuing the dictates of their own sense of honour i leave you therefore unshackled but there is no consideration which in my opinion can justify a female in spreading even to her nearest connections an unrequited partiality if therefore i am forced to inflict this undue mortification upon a person to whom i hold myself so much obliged an uneasiness will remain upon my mind destructive of my forgetfulness of an event which i would fain banish from my memory she then refused to be any longer detained how i love the perfect innocence and how i reverence the respectable singularity of that charming character cried edgar yet how vain are all arguments against such a combination of fearless credulity and enthusiastic reasoning what can we determine i am happy to retort upon you that question replied camilla for i am every way afraid to act myself lest i should hurt this dear sister or do wrong by my yet dearer father what a responsibility you cast upon me i will not however shrink from it for the path seems far plainer to me since i have had this conversation eugenia is at present safe i see now distinctly her heart is yet untouched the readiness with which she has met the subject the openness with which she avows her esteem the unembarrassed though modest simplicity with which she speaks of his passion and his distress all shew that her pity results from generosity not from love had it been otherwise with all her steadiness all her philosophy some agitation and anxiety would have betrayed her secret soul the internal workings of hopes and fears the sensitive alarms of repressed consciousness a deep glow which heated his face forced him here to break off and abruptly leaving his sentence unfinished he hastily began another we must not nevertheless regard this as security for the future though it is safety for the present nor trust her unsuspicious generosity of mind to the dangerous assault of artful distress i speak without reserve of this man for though i know him not as she remonstrated i cannot from the whole circumstances of his clandestine conduct doubt his being an adventurer you say nothing tell me i beg your opinion camilla had not heard one word of this last speech struck with his discrimination between the actual and the possible state of eugenia's mind and with the effect of the definition had pronounced upon himself 
her attention was irresistibly seized by a new train of ideas, till finding he waited for an answer, she mechanically repeated his last word. Opinion? He saw her absence of mind, and suspected his own too palpable disturbance had occasioned it. But in what degree, or from what sensations, he could not conjecture. They were both sometimes silent, and then, recollecting herself, she said it was earnestly her wish to avoid disobliging her sister, by a communication which, made by any one but herself, must put her into a disgraceful point of view. Edgar, after a pause, said they must yield then to her present fervor, and hope her sounder judgment, when less played upon, would see clearer. It appeared to him, indeed, that she was so free at this moment from any dangerous impression that it might perhaps be even safer to submit quietly to her request than to urge the generous romance of her temper to new workings. He undertook, meantime, to keep a constant watch upon the motions of Bellamy, to make sedulous inquiries into his character and situation in life, and to find out for what ostensible purpose he was in Hampshire, entreating leave to communicate constantly to Camilla what he might gather, and to consult with her from time to time upon what measures should be pursued, yet ultimately confessing that if Eugenia did not steadily persist in refusing any further rejections, he should hold himself bound in conscience to communicate the whole to Mr. Tyrold. Camilla was pleased and even thankful for the extreme friendliness and kind moderation of this arrangement, yet she left him mournfully in a confirmed belief his regard for the whole family was equal. Eugenia, much gratified, promised she would henceforth take no step with which Edgar should not be first acquainted. End of chapter 2 Recording by Linda Velwest